Hi out there, I'm Pat Pauley, and I'd like to welcome you to my show, Artbeat Northwest. Every week we interview people from the visual arts or the performing arts and talk about goings-on in the local arts scene. And this week, Gina Siciliano is here to talk with us. Gina is the author and artist of the recently published book, I Know What I Am, and it's about the life and times of Artemisia Chenelishi who is a very famous Baroque painter. Gina graduated from the Pacific Northwest College of Art in 2007, and she is an artist, a bookseller, and the drummer and vocalist for two rock bands. I don't know how she gets all of this in, but she says since she loves to do it, it's not that hard. She's been self-publishing her comics for many years. She lives in Seattle. Welcome to the show, Gina. Hi, thanks for having me. Great. We're so happy you could come in today. But before we get started with the interview, let's talk about some wonderful local events. Crooked Arts Center's Holiday Art Fair opens November 29th in their gallery on Market Street. That's really soon. And that's in Kirkland. It runs through December 8th. And the hours are 11 to 6 weekdays and 11 to 5 on weekends. Local artisans are presenting lots of wonderful clay creations, paintings, jewelry, weavings, glass creations, and more, and all at affordable prices for Christmas giving. So be sure to stop by. And then for a great night out, see Guys and Dolls at Issaquah's Village Theater. Now, you know, this is kind of an old play, but it's beautifully staged. And it looks modern. It's engaging and funny, and they have such talented singers and dancers. And actually, we gave them a standing ovation when we saw it Sunday night. It was so wonderful. Treat your family to this confection for the holidays. And it's on until December 29th in Issaquah. Tickets are still available. We'll be back shortly talking with Gina Siciliano about her new graphic book, I Know What I Am, The Life and Times of Artemisia Genelishi. We'll be right back. Support for Artbeat Northwest with Pat Polly comes from Pratt Fine Arts Center, offering year-round classes for youth, teens, and adults. Located in the central area, Pratt is the only facility in the Northwest where absolute beginners and established professional artists work side-by-side, creating art in glass, metal, stone, and wood sculpture, jewelry and metal smithing, painting, drawing, printmaking, and mixed media. Learn more and register for classes at Pratt.org. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Artbeat Northwest. We're talking with Gina Siciliano about her epic book about Baroque Italian artist Artemisia Gentilisci. First of all, who was Artemisia Gentilisci? Uh, She's well known to some people, but I think to a lot of listeners, it may not be someone that they've heard of. Well, she is starting to become a little more famous um, she's kind of going through a little bit of a boom right now where more and more people are uh, are discovering her, which is great. Um, but she was born in 1593 in Rome um, and was trained by her father, who's also a painter. Um, and both she and her father were father- followers of Caravaggio, who's also sort of becoming a little more famous recently. Um, and then, yeah, she just ended up... Um, 
making a name for herself as a as a painter despite all the odds. Um, she's also been uh, pretty famous recently because she was sexually assaulted by uh, Augustino Tassi, who was her father's friend and trainer. And um, and so Artemisia's father took her t- uh, perpetrator to trial. So there was an eight-month-long trial in 1612. And the trial serves as sort of an amazing window into early modern culture and gender relations um, from that time period. Now, where did you get all the information about this trial? Um, it has been translated into English in the first monograph about Artemisia, which is by Mary Gerard, and that one came out uh, in the late 80s. Um, so, so it's, yeah, so it's translated into English, which is great. Um, and I understand this trial was just big news in uh, Italy, and she was even tortured to make sure she was telling the truth. I mean, it's just awful. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it seems like it was pretty grueling, uh, but it wasn't entirely public, um, and we don't really know exactly how famous it was or how well-known it was, the trial. Mm. Um, And in fact, it might not have been known by very many people outside of Rome during that time. All of this is just sort of still the subject of a lot of scholarly debate. Um, But nonetheless, Artemisia ended up moving to um, Florence after the terrible ordeal of the trial. And um, she did really well um, in Florence and then ended up going back to Rome for a little bit and then did a brief stint in Venice and then spent the most of the rest of her life in Naples. Um, And she just continued to paint um, and... Uh, she she did pretty well and had a large number of different, very well, wealthy, famous patrons. Um, and she she lived until she was like in her early 60s, up until around 1655 or so. So she managed to make quite a name for herself, um, despite all the odds. And I understand that she used to be just kind of famous for this rape trial. And then people sort of rediscovered the fact that she was really a wonderful artist. Back in the 70s, she kind of got rediscovered, and uh, some books were written about her. And um, So uh, what was her, uh, what kind of art was she doing? Um. She was an oil painter. Um, she didn't do any large fresco work. She mostly just did oil paintings um, for mostly private galleries um, for very wealthy patrons. Um, but she she's probably most famous for her women figures. Um, she might have been known for her ability to paint the female form in her time as well. Um, that's certainly a theme that comes up a lot. And, of course, uh, most of the um, themes in her painting are biblical, um, as that was the mode, the mode of painting in Catholic Italy at that time, mostly, mostly Old Testament imagery, and also Greek and, classical, uh, Greek and Roman classical mythology was also the subject matter. Um, and that was what everyone was painting at that time, including Artemisia. Um, but certainly her approach to painting has stood out for all kinds of different ways. Um, 
And in terms of like what her paintings mean and how she felt about them and the weight that they had, all of this is just part of an ongoing scholarly debate Mm -hmm. um, that is always happening. And my book was sort of a link between a very scholarly, academic, ongoing debate and sort of bringing that world into a broader, more general reading public with a graphic novel. Um, but in terms of what we don't know, what we know and what we don't know is all just constantly being debated by a lot of different art historians and different types of scholars. Now, this scholarly debate, I have a feeling it had to do with uh, some of her paintings being quite um, like Judith slaying Holofernes, uh, violent, and maybe being a reaction to her anger at this rape and this trial. But then some people think, well, that was just um, what they were painting at the time. What what did what kind of feeling did you come out with? Well, we don't know. I mean, we just don't know. And um, we don't know the circumstances exactly of the Judith painting and how and why it was done. So we can guess based on lots of different ideas. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we just so badly want to see the, that autobiographical component in the painting of the Judith painting. We so desperately want that image to be an image of revenge. Um, but, but, and, um, but maybe there's it is a possibility. Maybe it's not. Exactly. <laughs> it, we can't know for sure. Yeah. Um, and so that's been a really big part of what I've been grappling with, um, with the book. And I think that what I have really tried to do is just to put Artemisia into the context of her time and place and sort of, sort of study her circumstances. Um, in that way. So rather than taking her out of context and trying to like find ways of like personally relating to her in the painting, what I've tried to do is put her into context and sort of create her world and then put her into it so that we can make guesses um, about the paintings and what they're about by looking at the circumstances um, and the dynamics of that time period, um, if that makes sense. Yes, and we know that she was a very talented painter because she was in so much demand from so many uh, different sources. And, of course, you know, the subject of her paintings was what they were painting in that day. Uh, But she was also very good with color and depth and besides being good with the female form, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, certainly... The earlier part of her career was really steeped in Caravaggio's influence. And then later it sort of morphed as the popular painting style morphed and changed. Um, And then so she ended up, yeah, being known more for being a colorist, um, and Caravaggio's influence on painting sort of waned a little bit as the 17th century went on. And how did her paintings change then? Um, well, that's, that's like the subject of a lot of debate as well. Um, they certainly don't have 
some of the same, you know, quintessential Caravaggio-esque uh, components later. They're so, softer, um, really. Um, well, the colors are a little different. There's not quite the same sense of chiaroscuro happening in the later works. Um, there's a little more of like a Bolognese influence, a little more classical influence. Um, you know, and some people think that she changed the look and feel of her paintings to conform more to what her patrons wanted. Some people think that her paintings were altered by other people. Some people think that she altered them later to get better sales and reach different patrons. Some people think that it had to do with her environment and the Neapolitan environment and also what she was dealing with in her later life that might have changed the look and feel of the paintings. So but, all... we, but what you're saying is that we actually don't really know. People Correct. think these things. Correct. We put a lot of guessing into it, and we want so badly to have our feminist hero. But I think that we can still have our feminist hero and still have and still consider the historical context and... Looking into that historical context is so rich. The history is so rich um, that we might as well delve into it and keep discussing it rather than draw conclusions based on our emotional responses. So hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, she was not only a very uh, wonderful painter, but very prolific painter. Well, partly she wasn't paid very much because she was a woman and she was trying to get a dowry for her daughter, right? And so she kept painting and painting furiously <laughs> to to support her family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, who knows uh, what drove her, her well, topics and her subjects. Sure, but she was also mostly just trying to make ends meet too and painting back then was not thought of in the same way it is now where it's like thought of paint oil painting now is seen as sort of like a fun hobby but back back in the early modern era it was a profession a very important profession like any other um she had to just to make ends meet she had to make a lot of work for a lot of different patrons and that's typical of most artists from that time period all the big artists were churning out a ton of work all the time for their patrons. And their patrons could be very demanding. Um. Now, a very uh, happy uh, circumstance, uh, Seattle Art Museum has a show called Flesh and Blood, Masterpieces from the Capa de Monte Museum, which just recently opened. Uh, I thought it was quite wonderful. And it includes many paintings from Artemisia Gentilici. Well, just one. <laughs> oh, I thought there were others. There's I, just one of hers. but And that's the one I was really looking at the most. And then I thought, oh, well, there must have been others. But no. No, it's just the one Judith painting. But a lot it's a of very her, important painting. It's though. true, yeah. And it was her earlier version of the Judith painting, of the Judith slang holofernas. Um, but also, like, a lot of her colleagues are in the show you know, which is important. Uh, And a lot of different painters that are in my book are featured in the show, um, as well as Artemisia. So why don't you mention some of the painters that are in the show? Because we want to make sure people get to the museum, too. Yeah, yeah. So 
a lot of the Neapolitan painters that were working alongside of Artemisia are in the show, like Giuseppe di Ribera, uh, Stanzioni, uh, Cavallino, um, Caracciolo. Uh, and then there, there are some more earlier Renaissance um, paintings in the show as well. People that might have definitely influenced Artemisia, like the Caracci. Um, and then, of course, there's also some big big early renaissance hits in the show too like titian and there's a raphael painting as well um it's a pretty big big show it's a it spans a lot of time 16th and 17th century italian masterworks there's a lot of artists in it and what's kind of interesting about the capodimoni uh museum is it actually wasn't open to the public it was a private collection until i think it was 1957 so and then the collection has never been shown outside the museum previous to this showing at the Seattle Art Museum. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, this book came out in yeah. September of this year, and uh, the show, which includes Artemisia's painting, is here in Seattle. What a coincidence. So when I went to the showing... Flesh and Blood, I went to the bookstore. I was told by a friend, oh, you got to see this book. Go to the bookstore and, and pick it up. I think it is so wonderful. It's just, I call it an epic work of art. Why don't you talk about your book a bit, exactly what it is, because it is absolutely stunning. Oh, thank okay. you. Okay, why don't you talk about it a little bit? When I graduated from art school, I got to see uh, Artemisia's second version of Judith Lang Holofernes at the Uffizi in Florence. Ah. Um, and I first discovered her in art school um, in a basic just Western art history course. Um, and I knew immediately that I wanted to do a graphic novel about her life and work. Oh, you knew it immediately. immediately. Oh, yeah. So oh, this yeah. has been kind of a life journey. Actually. Yeah. And I've been drawing comics for years and years, forever, for my whole life. I've been drawing comics. It's been a medium I'm really comfortable with for forever. And, you know, I could see that all the great stuff of graphic novels is right there in Artemisia's life um, and in her work. It just made sense. And then it took me a little while to, to be ready to tackle it. But then when I... When I felt ready um, after I'd moved up to Seattle about seven or eight years ago, I started the project and I broke it into three parts. The first part dealing with her early life, the second part dealing with the rape and the trial, and then the third part dealing with the rest of her life. And I pretty much just dove in. I took a year off at first just to read books about the time period, trying to get a feel for like what women were doing at the time and what the art scene looked at the time just reading anything I could get my hands on about the Italian Baroque and later Renaissance. Um, And then I self-published the first two parts of the book, put those out, and then then took another year off to do just do research at the University of Washington Library uh, for the third part of the book, just since the third part deals with so much more, like so many different places Mm -hmm. and political and social situations. Um, that it really took an extra research push and, again, using the university library to get that third part put together. Um, And so then finally I did, I got that part done, and I'd already been kind of slowly sort of working my way into fanographics. Fanographics (laughs) is like... uh, 
sphere. <laughs> I, I Oh, they publish so many books. They publish so many things. So Larry at the shop gave me a show where I showed some of the original pages. Um, Gary Groth finally started expressing a little bit of interest. And then gradually, they eventually they picked up the book. Um, and so this last year has been really about um, production and working with Fantagraphics to make this enormous pile of paper into a book. Um, and that's been really amazing. Fantagraphics has been wonderful. Um, and I can see where my book like fits into their au revoir. You know, mm-hmm. they're doing a lot of more historical stuff. Their design team was amazing. They really put in a lot of hours into the look and feel of the book um, and capturing all of the ballpoint pen um, because the whole, all of the comics are done in ballpoint pen. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. So their production team just did such an amazing job reproducing uh, that ballpoint pen and the whole thing. Um, And their editing, their editors were great, although I've, I've worked with my own editor years as well on the on the book um and then yeah now it's been working with their marketing team which has been really interesting as well and really cool so you've really had a good experience and that's so good to hear yep it's already time for a break we're here talking with gina siciliano about her new book about baroque italian artist artemisia gentilici we'll be back shortly with more on artbeat northwest From new exhibitions to community events, Bellevue Arts Museum is always new, always different, and always exciting. Right now, check out Emerge Evolve 2018. Rising talents in kiln glass, showcasing an international array of artists whose cutting-edge work in kiln glass offers new perspectives on the media. This competition at Bullseye Glass in Portland attracted over 280 entries from 29 countries, of which a group of 40 finalists were accepted. The exhibition at Bellevue Arts Museum features work by 10 award winners from the 2018 competition alongside new works from four previous Emerge artists, illustrating the evolution of their practice. The exhibition will be at BAM until July 12, 2020. Get tickets and learn more at BellevueArts.org. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. Welcome back to Artbeat Northwest. We're here talking with Gina Siciliano about her epic book about Baroque Italian artist Artemisia Gentilici. And also that music is from one of her rock bands. Why don't you tell us which one? Yeah, that was just a little snippet from Oizoi. Ah. (laughs) So isn't that wonderful that she's so talented. She does drawing, writing, two rock bands, singing, drumming. You know, I don't see how she has time. But I do want the listeners to know that actually this book, is she's talking about the content, which is the important part. But I will tell you, it's a beautiful book. It's huge, seven and three quarters by 11 and three quarters, which is a very big book, hardcover, and the very detailed drawings, wonderful, and just so many detailed drawings. Do not look like they're done with ballpoint pen. They look like they're done with India ink etching. They're very detailed. Has more written in it than most graphic books. Of course, it's a nonfiction epic work. It is a bestseller at uh, Seattle Art Museum. Did you know that? When I got there, they were out. 
Uh, cool. I had to uh, uh, get it somewhere else. Um, and at Elliott Bay Books and probably everywhere else, including Amazon. <laughs> anyway, um, so how did you manage to organize everything in this book? It is absolutely an incredible, how long did it take you to write the whole thing? I mean, it must have taken a couple of years or more. Yeah, well, it's it's about seven years total. Oh, seven years. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. And then, That's, I believe that because <laughs> you've got to see the details in these bo- this book. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, breaking it into parts, you know, breaking it into chunks and then just kind of working chronologically was kind of how I tackled it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I thumbnail, I thumbnail everything out fanatically first and then working with an editor for all the writing is, was, like, super helpful and important. Uh-huh. Um, it's just a, a wonderful old friend of mine, Jason Conger, uh, was able to, to do a lot of editing for me in those early stages. Uh-huh. So that really helped just with the flow of the text, the voice of the writing, all of that. Um, and, yeah, you know, it just was, like, bit by bit. You know, I just, any time I would have any of those free moments it would just go back to the back to the project and because there's so many different like components of it I was able to stay focused you know like I wasn't doing the whole the same thing for like seven years it was like reading books or drawing or doing the thumbnails or the pencil or the pen the inking or you know there were so many different aspects of it that I was able to stay totally focused um, the whole time and pretty much worked on it almost every day in like working on some aspect of it pretty much every day this en- entire time. Well, um, you but- must be an excellent time manager to do all of your <laughs> art, your vocal performance, and of course your bookstore uh, job in addition to that. So well, I applaud your efforts. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, I just I don't really I don't really have a choice in some in some ways. I mean, I have to have day jobs in order to live. Um, and then in order to feel like life is worth living, I have to do what I love to do whenever I can. And so. you certainly have been <laughs> doing that. But we are already running out of time. <laughs> I th- I, th- I want to remind people that this book would be an absolutely wonderful Christmas gift. Oh, thank you. For people. But if you give this gift, you got to also go see... The exhibit at Sam and see that painting is just wonderful. Thank you for coming in, Gina. We're so happy that you could come in and talk about this epic, I call it an epic book. Thank you. Now, how can listeners find out more about your art and buy your book? Um, Well, you can always get it from Fantagraphics. um, And you can also get it at Seattle Art Museum. When I was there last week, they had a lot of copies, so they must have reordered it. And so it's at Seattle Art Museum. It's at Fanagraphics. You can order it from Fanagraphics or you can get it at their Georgetown shop as well. Okay, Such a great idea for holiday presents. Um, Such a wonderful book. And be sure to listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. and every Monday at 8.30 a.m. for Artbeat Northwest. I'm your host, Pat Polly, signing off on Alternative Talk 1150. Have a great, creative week.